Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just being on a high-profile football show, you just get peppered. We've been filming this for six or seven weeks, and you failed to mention that you got a mutual friend with Lionel Messi. You know, in this, in this new world of, of, of social media where everyone can tell you how they feel, you know, behind a keyboard and stuff, it's, um, yeah, it was, it was insane. I, I, think, I think it's sad. I think it's really, really sad. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Football and Feelings podcast with me, Liam Masters. A great episode today with Lloyd Griffith, the man of many talents. He's a comedian, he's a singer, TV presenter, aspiring goalkeeper as well. Uh, we had a great chat about many things like his route into comedy because it's, it's a little bit different than a lot of people's um, bigger football fans who think that they are bigger than they are on social media. Uh, and yeah, and a lot of other stuff. I'm sure you'll enjoy this one. Whilst I've got you, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review, give us a rating. Um, it'll really help me grow the show to get bigger and better guests on every week uh, and to reach a bigger audience as well. Or subscribe wherever you're listening. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Enjoy this episode. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for joining me on the Football and Feelings podcast. Um, Lloyd, it's great to have you on here. I've already had your good friend, Robbie Knox, and Martin Gritton as well. So you're the final piece of the Rich. friendship triangle. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I saw a little clip of, uh, of Gritton the other day. He's a good lad, isn't he? Mm, loved it. It was a. Uh, it's it's like if scientists wanted to create the most level-headed man in the world, it would probably yeah. be Martin Grissom. Yeah, he's um he, he's a uh, an anomaly, I think. You know, when it comes to footballers, and um, when he's speaking, like you know, I, I, the, the segment that I saw was he basically said his plan wasn't to be a footballer. That was yeah. his, you know, you know. So it's it's interesting, and it was for him, it was a job. Whereas for most people, it's a dream. But you know, for for him, it kind of it, it paid the mortgage, and he just cracked on with it. So mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, and I didn't realise actually that that grits feature had a little cameo in your uh, your twenty sixteen club with FIFA. Yeah, the quest for the best. I didn't realise until until I watched that back quite recently. So, and again, it's quite interesting because the the three people that I got involved in it. So they needed basically three friends of mine that were ideally football fans, and so I. Called upon Reese James, comedian. You, you know, might have seen him on Mock the Weekend, like the Polo, and our mate Mark Smith, who's gone into more football stuff. So he does a fair few shows on, like, does stuff on Talksport, and he kind of does stuff for Derby for Man United on their channels. And then there's my mate Grits, and you know, at, at the time those those three didn't, you know, Mark and Reese knew each other really well, but they didn't know Grits, and then they've become kind of like thick as thieves since. So <laughs> it was quite good to kind of like just to pull them together, really. Um, but yeah, then Grits came over to Barcelona with me um, and did some filming there. So it was, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, um, you know, we, we go to quite a lot of football matches together. You know, we're quite neutral esports, um, Celtic, and I sport Grimsby. So we go to a lot of Premier League games together, both living in London, and you know, we don't have to worry about the score or anything. It's just a nice yeah. little day out of the blues. 
worry about it ruining your weekend. Um, yeah, so you're from Great Grimsby and you're a Grimsby fan. I wanted to see Great. how you're how you're sort of feeling at the moment with uh, well, for all clubs it's difficult, but especially for the lower league clubs without that ticket revenue. Yeah, it's it's weird because obviously everyone's in the same boat. Everyone is in the same boat. And it seems that we're doing okay at the moment. You know, we've got Ian Holloway came in as our manager um, about six months ago and has given the club a little bit of a renaissance until obviously this kind of kicked off. We're able to sign players that we wouldn't have really been able to sign because obviously you've got Ian Holloway as your gaffer. His phone book is obviously extensive and it was um, it was great to see what was happening when, when, it, when it first started. Just a shame it, it, it's uh, finished as it is. What happens next season? You know, we've got no idea. No idea when that even starts. Um, but I, I love, I, you know, I love, I love Grimsby Town so much. But there's just, you know, it is it's so frustrating supporting them on and off the pitch. Um, so I'm just hoping that we can kind of, you know, get back to where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've beaten Scunthorpe in the league, which is our like our closest rivals this season. Yeah, unless it's Lincoln. Um, so yeah, yeah, we just we just it, it's been a bit of like a positivity, a lot of positivity around the club. So we'll we'll just have to see. Like the, the fans are raising money for the for the club at the moment, which I don't agree with. I know it sounds foolish, like but we've done it before, and it's you know not to get into too much of it, but like the, it's 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 not managed that well. Like the the, per, the major shareholder doesn't manage it very well, and um, yeah, I just think that he should be putting his hand in his pocket and going, you know, I'll help balance the books here. You don't have to. Because the club have already done, the fans have already done it. The year that we got promoted, we had a thing called Operation Promotion where we raised more than £100,000 in order for Paul Hurst to have a bigger kitty, you know, a war chest to go and attack her, the conference and get promoted. And we did, we got promoted, but then the major shareholder took out £200,000 at the end of that year. So I just feel that we're in a bit of the same predicament. So I just like to see what, what, what leadership comes from the top and, you know, where the funds will be coming from, from there. So mm. sorry, it's a bit of a long winded answer, isn't it? But no, that's all right. wait for someone to ask me that so I can get off my chest. <laughs> yeah. Your shoulders have just dropped. You look very relaxed yeah. now. <laughs> um, I like to think though, with someone like Ian Holloway there, he might uh, sort of be able to have a bit of influence there. I've spent many an hour watching um, his press conferences on, on YouTube just because he's a great man. Yeah, I mean, Ollie's great. And I'm when I was working at Soccer M, he used to come in on a Friday to do the debate. And we'd be in the office quite late on a Friday night getting ready for the show on Saturday morning. And Ollie would come in and he'd just yarn for hours. And it was amazing, do you know what I mean, to see Ian Holloway, do you know what I mean, bounce back ability, you know, the, the absolute king um, coming in. And, you know, we knew I supported, which I thought was lovely. And just always, always... Asked about you, asked about you. Oh, you everything going? You all right, mate? Yeah, I'm watching you lads have a good laugh on a Saturday morning, don't you? And so, like, when he, you know, when he came on as a guest, it was great. And but you know, there's only so much that a manager can do. It's completely out of his his hands, really, as to what happens next. Um, and no matter you know who you've got, you know, their, their hands are tied until mm. until things kind of settle down a little bit, really, and, and see when the season can start going. Of course. Do you have a first memory? Of uh, of Grimsby, Grimsby Town. Yeah, so it's, it's a weird one because I supported Grimsby, but not like passionately. So I was like, grew up single parent um, mum, 
uh, single parent family with just my mum and my sister in Grimsby. So there was no real kind of like Grimsby town massive fanatic in the family. My auntie's boyfriend, Dave, used to take me to a fair few Grimsby games. But the first Grimsby game I went to was John Cockrell's testimonial. So John Cockrell, brother of Glenn Cockrell, who played at Southampton. And John was like a Grimsby legend, obviously having a testimonial, been there for, for, for a while and scored some really important goals. Um, the, you know, the, the goal... I think one or two goals against Exeter, the got promoted. Um, so he, you know, I went to his, I went to his testimonial, and um, he actually, his mum was the secretary at my school, so that was kind of like, you know, and so me and my mum went, and it was, you know, it was, it was great. I remember it vividly. I've done a few articles about that that, that day, and it was absolutely freezing. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Blundell Park, but. Um, the main, uh, sorry, the, the the Finders, the Upper Finders or Upper Smiths or whatever it's called, um, you can kind of just look at the North Sea. So like the River Humber is just, you can see just ships going across the main stand. So it's, you've got a view of just, you know, an, 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 an armada of, uh, of, of, of trawlers really, or air tankers. I'm talking crappy. But basically, yeah, it was absolutely freezing. I remember Steve Sherwood wearing a jumpsuit because it was that cold. Um, don't remember the score. I remember mum leaving, like, saying, look, we're going to go 10 minutes before the end because it was absolutely Baltic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I supported Grimsby Town. There was a, I had a little, I wouldn't say, like, an affair with Man United, but um, honestly, my mum used to work in a restaurant on a Saturday, and it was cheaper for my cousin to take me to Old Trafford on a Saturday than it was for mum to pay for a babysitter for eight hours so uh, <laughs> niche yeah it was really it was literally so my cousin Sam and Bob used to go to Manchester uh, to Old Trafford pretty much every home game um, and the kids tickets were like nine pounds nine ten pounds so my mum used to just give me that nine ten pounds my cousins who were older than you know they were like in their 30s 40s used to take me with their kids like my second cousins to Old Trafford on, on you know so I think for two years I probably went to like 15, 20, old, you know, United games just because it was easier than getting a babysitter. Um, so, yeah, so that, my first memory was was um, was, was, was um, John Cockrell's testimonial. And then weirdly, John Cockrell then came to my school to get his badges, to get his um, football badges. And he was actually the person that taught me how to play football. Oh, wow. I'm real. Yeah. He's the, is he responsible for your cat-like reflexes or is... Is that all self-taught? No, I mean, he was responsible for me going in goal because I think he realised there was no talent out, out for him whatsoever. <laughs> but I remember doing talk sport a few few months back or maybe a year or so ago and uh, he, he texted in. He was like, I remember I taught Lloyd how to play football. I was like, he did. He literally did. <laughs> I just remember him like teaching me, you know, I didn't know the difference between a goal kick out of your hands or a goal kick on the floor. And so he'd kind of, I remember being on the, on the he said, a bit of field at St. James or it's like the posh school in St. James. It was called the paddock. I mean, proper, that's, I mean, that's, that's you know, mm. that's field. And I remember him just teaching me, like, right, out your hands here, Lloyd. Okay, on the floor here, Lloyd, and stuff. So, um, yeah, he was he, he was great, 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 great teacher. And then went on to, uh, you know, to, to, to manage Grimsby Town a few times. Mm. Um, would you rather see Grimsby Town get to the Prem or, watch, or see England win the World Cup? I mean... I've often thought about Grimsby Town being in the top flight of English football. It wasn't a million years ago than, than, mm. um, that we were kind of like flirting with it. Um, I think, was it 2001, where we were like second of the championship? Um, I think if, it, you know, you've got to look at any, any, 
I think there were so many years where it was Grimsby Town and Bournemouth were flirting with being relegated out of the Football League and Bournemouth I think two or three times kind of just like pulled it out and never got relegated and they're you know obviously now a Premier League team so it's not completely impossible you know it looks like they might go down this season my thing is like if Grimsby get into the Premier League it'd be one season it would be like <laughs> I'm like such a kind of you got to look at the fact, like, we, our stadium wouldn't be allowed in the Premier League for a start. Mm. Like, 100% wouldn't be allowed. So, let's go with England. Okay, fair enough. Can't argue with that. We'll go with yeah. that. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, I wanted to talk about life before comedy for you. Um, yeah. Because it was quite different to how it is now. It's maybe even quite niche. You're, you're a chorister uh, in Grimsby, yeah. and then you went on to read music at Exeter Uni. Um, was that route sort of set out for you um, to, to go into into singing or was that very much you found that path on your own I mean so again like, as I say like, I, I grew up um, in, in Grimsby you know in, in a, on a road called Columbia Road where everyone everyone went I, you know, I went to like the, 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 the primary school Old Clee around the corner and then I just got given an opportunity where I could have gone to St James and it was like my godfather recognised that I had a bit of a singing talent and was like look there's a choir school down the road so Grimsby's like randomly got a choir school with St James and I went there and it just became even like from the age of seven or eight it became obvious that I was a half decent singer and as the years went by you know nine ten eleven you know I was winning various things getting my grades and then from then it was just like that was the path that there was no other I wasn't really good at anything else apart from performing or singing at the time do you know what I mean and then not that turned to performance but there was no real other option, do you know what I mean? It was always, right, A-levels, music, and a few others, then university, it's going to be music. And, mm. you know, I went to university and, as you say, like, read music there, like classical music. So it was quite a tough degree. It was, um, you know, it was all academic. Um, but, yeah, so for, for, for me, it was, it, was, it was only ever going to be music, like mm. nothing, other, nothing other than that. And then... Once I started doing music, yeah, I kind of opened up my eyes to be able to do other more performance-based stuff, um, and then that evolved into you know like uh, comedy, really. Yeah, really. Yeah, you've said previously that um, it was during uh, you you working with close harmony groups, you sort of discovered yeah. that you actually enjoyed making people laugh, maybe even more than you enjoyed the singing part of it. But yeah, do you I mean, think you if you didn't, Lloyd, I'm a professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to be. Um, do you think if you didn't make that discovery then, do you think you would have made it at some point or do you think your life now would be would be completely different? I, I, yeah, I mean, it sounds so wanky, but like I'd always imagined that I was going to be doing something before. I remember like seeing people on TV and I just remember thinking, oh, I'm going to do that. I'll, mm. I'll do, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to do that. And the singing thing, I wouldn't ever give it up. Like I still do it now. You know what I mean? So I still sing in, uh, well, when, when you can do, but like, um, I sing regularly in the um, in the choir of St George's Chapel Windsor Castle, which is an amazing choir. Um, every now and then at Westminster Abbey, um, you know. So I like still wear the cassock, you know, what I mean the dress, mm -hmm. and still sing high like a lady. But the the yeah, I, I, I think I think I would have made a jump at some point. But it was doing that close army stuff where I was, you know talking and just making people laugh and I used to give tours around university when I was extra I think I got like an extra 30 quid a week or like 20 yeah. quid a week like two tours a week um for prospective music students so I'd go around and be like 
um, I'd go around and just start do awful jokes and awful like puns and like write this little routine about the university. Well, I was giving them actual facts, but then just, oh, like one of them, I was thinking about it the other week, actually, when I was chatting to a mate from uni. I was like, all old stolen jokes. I'd go like around, well, these are the halls of residence. I was like, my friend, um, my friend actually lived on the top floor, you know, but he was really annoyed because he opened his window and there was an extractor fan. Um, just a bloke going, I used to like tractors, me. Was, and that was a joke. <laughs> I used to like tractors, me. And you could like see the parents laughing and the kids who obviously like a year younger than me be like, what's going on? Do you mean? So I probably stopped a lot of people coming to Exeter because they were like, I don't want to turn out. I'm this absolute nerd. So, um, yes, yeah, so I, I, I'd always done stuff like I did... Um, uh, I, I hosted a fashion show at, ex- like, at university and was doing jokes about that and stuff. Jokes in that, sorry. So, and that was uh, the person who did it the year after me was a chap called Tom Deacon, who then went on to forge a career in comedy pretty quickly and got a, a show on Radio One and stuff. So, I, I'd have jumped ship at some point, but I just didn't know when it would be. And you know, luckily the singing thing kind of like helped me realise that this could this could actually happen. You know, this could be a thing. Yeah, when you reflect on those like prime singing years that you had, how do you, how, what what stands out? How do you feel about them, or is there like a, a standout moment or just an era for you? Yeah, like even like looking back now, now I was really going for the singing thing, and I had some of the best singing teachers in the country, and used to like go to um, like the Royal College of Music in London for my singing lessons. You know, get on a train, go to there for a day, and have, like the singing lessons. And like, I used to do quite a lot of solo stuff, so me usually in like a tuxedo morning you know like look penguin suit and um i remember doing a, a gig in norwich cathedral which you know is pretty big and it was a pretty full cathedral you know like 1300 people in there singing handel's messiah me you know uh singing really quite high um with a full orchestra and stuff and having a really good gig and just thinking oh that you know so that was one of the best that musical performances of, of my kind of career and thinking, right, if I want to do this, I've really got to kick on and, you know, go to the next level. And I didn't really want to go to the next level. Like it, you know, I realized that I didn't want to be a singer full time. Um, there was a number of reasons, like probably quite a lonely existence, not that much work for the amount of um, people that were doing it. Um, and also not that much money. And that was like a big influence, you know, influencer for me being like, yeah, you know, even if I was at the top of my game, I still wouldn't be properly, properly loaded. But I had so many amazing memories. Like I sang backing vocals on the Bee Gees Christmas album. Like um, sang on the Friday night show with Alan Carr and Justin E. Collins. Um, did some stuff for like British Airways, you know, for an advert and stuff. So it was like, you know, at the time it was great, and it was, uh, you know, it was making. It was I was able to travel the world and and, and do stuff. So yeah, it was it was it was interesting, but. I'm still in a really lucky position and I still do sing now. And, um, you know, my, my show that I had to stop touring um, at the beginning of this year, which, you know, touch wood will end, will, will start up again end of this year or, you know, at least the beginning of next year, is about football and singing, really. You know, how I wanted to be a footballer but was too rubbish and fat and have become a singer and I'm trying to match the two, join the two. The Euros are around the corner and there's always a singer at the Euros and stuff. So, you know, that's my that's my show this year. So I've always kept the singing in, and I think mentally, singing for me is one of the like it's an absolute leveler. And 
never happier than when I'm singing in a, in a choir with like 20, 30 other blokes. Mm. Nice bit of Latin polyphony. Oi, oi. <laughs> so, uh, uh, hashtag yeah. relatable. Hashtag um, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so then that was sort of when your, your climb in the comedy circuit started. But that is uh, that in itself is quite can be quite a long and and torturous ladder to climb. But at what point mm. did you realise that uh, a, a career in comedy could uh, could happen for you? Well, I went on a so I got into comedy by basically just I, I didn't I didn't hadn't been to a comedy club before or anything like that. I moved to London. I got a, not a, like a job. I got a job as a producer for like a, a large experiential marketing agency, and you know it was, it was a good good job. Um, but I lived in Shoreditch, and I used to go to a place called Finfig Bar, otherwise known as Backyard Comedy Club. Lee Hurst used to run it and like MC every night. And I used to love their things all over. Like growing up, like it was a, like a staple in the house. And so I, I, you know, I spoke to him after a gig, and I was like, "Look, how do you get into this?" Because it just blew my mind. The first night I saw Milton Jones opening and Mickey Flanagan closing, and nobody had not done any TV at this point. So it was like, "Who are these people?" And like, "How do you do what they do?" So he gave me some advice, and then I went on a comedy course, which, looking back, wasn't great, really, to be honest. There's a few people talking there, and randomly, you know, like Rob Beckett is one of my best mates now, but we were both on that course on the same day. Like, we remember when we first started, we kind of like talked about it and we like realized, oh yeah. And someone said, look, if you're, you, you do comedy and hopefully you'll start to earn money in three to five years, and then you'll be able to like go pro and like do it professionally after like five or seven, maybe eight years. I was like, oh, bloody hell. So, I gave it a go and we started earning money within six months to a year. You know, not loads of money, but still, you know, 20, 30, 40 quid for, for doing little gigs. And then I think I realized after about a year, two years, you know, I was speaking to Rob and we were, like, we were both saying, I think we can, I think we can do this. I think this might be a, a thing. And obviously he kind of like skyrocketed pretty early on. But yeah, I think after three, I think uh, after three years, I gave up my job and was able to do comedy full time. Like you're working your tits off and you're driving all over the country. Like, you know, so many service stations and you know every single motorway. Like whenever I do a quiz and they go, it's a motorway quiz. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like com comedian and salesman. It's like, yes, this is it. I mean, this, this is our round. But yeah, it's, um, I wouldn't ever want to start doing comedy again now. I wouldn't ever want to do it, do it again now. It's a, it's a weird, you have to go all over the country for like no money. And, um, you know, they're not always great gigs. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a really tough, it's, it's tough to start, to start doing comedy. It's, it's really tough. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't really realize the amount of comedians that, uh, amount of work that comedians do put in. Like I said, the traveling up and up and down the country is quite strenuous. Like yeah. you've spoken about balancing Edinburgh Fringe with like commitments to Soccer AM, which yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'd implode if I was dealing with that sort of stress traveling up and down the country. But do, do you think you manage that stress well or well enough? Well, at the start, it was fine. And it just, you know, it kind of organically happens. And I remember like when I had a job and was doing comedy, that was relatively stressful. I used to like take a few hours off here or there. Like my work were really generous in going, you know, as long as you find the time up somewhere, that's not a problem. And so I remember one day leaving work at maybe two or three o'clock and then getting a train up to Edinburgh, getting off the train at like half seven, going to do Red Raw, um, the new act tonight, doing 10 minutes at Red Raw on a Monday night in Edinburgh. 
uh, buying like a couple of sleeping pills and four cans of lager, four, four cans of Stella specifically, um, for the sleeper train at 11.24, got into London Euston at maybe 6.30, um, went home, changed my pants, had a shower, went into work. And like, you just have a conversation with people, like, oh, what, what, um, were you gigging last night? I was like, oh yeah, I was in Edinburgh. They're like, what? But you were, hit, you, you were in the office last night? Yeah. So that too, I was like, oh yeah, I just jumped on the train, did the gig and got, got the sleeper train back. They're like, well, how much did you get paid? I went, uh, it was like 40 pounds expenses. He went, well, how much was the train? He's like, about 120 pounds. Like, right, so you've lost money. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, you do it because you want to get seen by certain people to get hopefully weekends and, and stuff where, yeah, it just made, makes no sense. But you, that's just what you do. And then when I got a soccer AM, I'd already kind of committed to um, the fringe. So I'd already, I think it was like my third full year, 2017. Um, I just supported Jack Whitehall on talks. Um, earlier that year, which meant that I'd kind of got a bit of a bigger audience, more people would come to see me. So I couldn't cancel it. And then, you know, between Fenners and uh, me and the team and my agent, we decided that I could, you know, fly back after my show on the Thursday night in Edinburgh, um, go home, work the full day at Sky on the Friday, getting ready for the show, do the show on Saturday morning, and then fly back up to Edinburgh straight after that, you know, and then do a week in Edinburgh. Um, and you know, it, it, that, that were, the actual logistics of it were, were fine, but it was the emotional element of it, do you know what I mean, of, of doing that. I've just, um, I'm not sure if you're going to discuss it, but like just being on a high-profile football show, you just get peppered, do you know what I mean? You just, the abuse that happened. And it was, that was the thing. I remember like the first day, um, just like reading the tweets, uh, at Heathrow, like I nearly missed my flight because I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So that was, yeah, the, the emotional side of that was was really hard to get on board with. But what was really good is a few people that had already been presenters on the show and a few footballers were like, oh, so you know, you're going to get abuse. I was like, mate, I'm an everyman. It's absolutely, I'm not going to, I've never got abuse in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean, I do gigs, people love it. I've just played Jack Whitehall in like 10,000, 15,000 zero arenas. I was like, people like me. And I was like reading that. Like, I remember the, the tweet that basically said, I'd rather send my children on holiday with the McCann's than watch this fat prick at Lloyd Griffith for the next 90 minutes. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I would rather go for a routine oh. pickup with Harold Shipman than watch Aloy Griffith for another 90 minutes. And you kind of go in, how, like, yeah, it was, it, was, it was just insane. And, you know, when you asked me on this, I was, you know, I was quite happy. You know, I was, I was chuckled. I do want to talk about, I think that football fans sometimes are insane, like absolutely insane. 100%. It's so tribal. They have, you know, I think it's, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. I think it's because people need a side and they want, they just feel opinionated. It's religion. Do you know what I mean? It is a religion. I know we joke about it, but you know, a lot of uh, majority of people don't believe in a God or anything this side. You know, obviously like religion was reason why wars happen and stuff. Whereas now people are football and therefore they have opinions and, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, by no means am I saying I am the, the best presenter in the world. Do you know what I mean? But and for the first kind of like three or four weeks, you know, like when we, me and Jim used to look back at the things, it was like we were absolute, you know, mahogany. I mean, proper stiff. Do you know I mean because we're going to a new job? And I spoke to Tim Lovejoy, and Tim was saying, like, when he first started doing it, he was the same. Do you know I mean, he didn't know what was going on. And 
he um, the podcast that him and uh, that Tim and uh, Helen Chamberlain do to, on Tim is really interesting. To if you're a football fan and a fan of soccer, I am. It's on uh, Tim's channel. It's really interesting of like how he got the job, how Helen was already doing it, and he was like, right, let's get rid of her, and then was like, oh no, she's she's brilliant and she needs to like lead me through this because Tim couldn't read or cue at the start and stuff like that. So there's so much to get, you know, to get in, but it was just the, it was just the abuse from people who had pretty much the same kind of profile. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know what I mean? Steve, season ticket, I'll do it at the North End. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the White guys. The Arsenal, the kids, the wife in that order. <laughs> and it was just like them going, you fat nonce. And you're going, oh, like, yeah, fine, mate, whatever. And, I, you know, it did get to me after a little, you know, it did get to me. And I was like thinking, oh, can I do this? Max Rushton was amazing. He was like, oh, mate, you're going to get, it's going to be horrific. And he's like, I still get told I was shit on Soccer AM. He went, I left four years ago. He's like, I, you know, he's like, I still get to do this now. But Max is great. Fellas was great. You know, um, you know, with we, 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 helping with it. But it was, you know, in this in this new world of 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 social media where everyone can tell you how they feel, you know, behind a keyboard and stuff. It's um, yeah, it was it was insane. I, I think I think it's sad. I think it's really really sad. I mean, you just have to look on Instagram or Twitter now. A footballer will tweet something, and the stuff that is written underneath it. You're going, why have you done that? Like genuinely. How shit is your life that you're calling Gwenduzi, you know, a kiddie fiddler or whatever it is? Do you know what I mean? Gary Lineker, who I, I think is one of the most level-headed people out there, who is a footballer, hasn't kicked a football since, do you know what I mean? But he's obviously still a football pundit. I think he's, you know, he'll tweet something and go, oh yeah, it'll fit your left field agenda, won't it, Lineker? And it, it's like people... <laughs> People just think they're so intelligent. This is the thing. That's what it, people, people think think that they know best. Yeah. Some people do know best, but not everyone does. And it's just, it needs, I don't know how it has, I, I, you know, like now I'm, I, I, I've got a problem with it. Um, I mute it, mute the conversation so they're just shouting into a well, or I'll entertain it and just keep replying because it's like, mate, I've got nothing else on. I mean, this is literally my job. So I'm happy to kind of like just keep, keep going. Um, but I, just, I think it is sad. It's a, you know, obviously a society thing, and you know, just the amount of abuse that footballers um, get, uh, you know, like, uh, and it, it seems that they're, oh, it's fine. They're paid half a million quid a, a week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can call them whatever I want. Do you know what I mean? They still have feelings. Do you know what I mean? They still have a family. You know, the, the amount of footballers I know that just don't do their own social media because they don't want to look at being called, you know, a big tooth prick or whatever it is. So, you know, it is. It is sad, and especially like you know, like going to the, um, to, you know, with with regard to Grimsby Town, I'm a fr- I'm friends with quite a lot of Grimsby Town players, past and present, and you know, you just you just they're getting booed at full time, and they're getting called out on social media in such a small town. It's like what, like what, what, why? Do you know what I mean, yeah. like it's they they, I don't think many footballers will hold their hand up and go, oh, I don't care. I'm just doing it because I'm getting paid. I mean, most footballers want to earn a living, but they want to do the best for those people in the stadiums. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, just, it's just insane. I think football fans just need to chill out, like 100% need to chill out. It is sport, it is entertainment, but it's not the bill and end all. It's not a life and death. You know, football fans do just need to calm down and be less aggressive. 
Yeah, and I think the problem is a lot of these fans being being a football fan is their personality. Like they have, they don't really have much else going on. So if you attack that, attack what they've got. Yeah. I mean, you you better be ready. But um, it is a shame. And I, I was speaking to to Robbie about this briefly uh, about regards to soccer. Am that was something that was so embedded in a lot of people people's culture when they were when they were growing up. That yeah. as soon as the show started to change, people were like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Soccer AM shit. Yeah, it's nothing like that anymore. It's like, oh, fucking hell. It's a TV yeah. show. Don't like it. Don't watch it, pal. Well, my, my, so I, obviously, like, I love Robbie. I've known Robbie for a, a long time. And he, you know, he used to tell me stuff. And, you know, when I spoke to Tim, when I spoke to Tim, and I was like, mate, the abuse. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, and Tim said, you know, Tim said, look, you know, I used to get it back in the day where he, he said, I used to back in the day where they used to have to lick an envelope to send me abuse, and that's how much they hated me. I was like, oh my god, someone's put their DNA on an envelope. And then, like, you know, he was like, they're the almost like the anti of keyboard warriors. And um, you know, Fellas and Robbie are insane. When um, the Sky Remote came in, and you could text from the Sky Remote, they were like. Hey, text him how you feeling, and then they're like, "Ah, yeah, that's not really any of that." Like, no, it's just like carry on. They used to when um, when uh, Sheephead used to read out the emails in that feature called Gmail, which I don't think would get on TV anymore. Um, and then the the, the, the element where where uh, Tim would used to read out emails, and um, it was Robbie's job to. I'm not sure if Robbie mentioned this on the podcast. It was Robbie's job to basically put the emails in, and they're usually nice emails. But Robbie would just throw in one. He was like. Tim Lovejoy is a Chelsea red boy. And like he just saw in there to throw Tim off as he was, uh, <laughs> he was about to read out. But he's just, you know, I think people are still set in their ways. A lot of people don't like change. And, you know, we're fully aware that when, you know, when me and Jimmy came on, it was a huge amount of change. You know, we were replacing Helen, who I cannot tell you how, you know, amazing she was growing up, you know, an absolute anti-figure. Um, and, you know, but Sky, the bosses decided they need, needed a, a bit of change for whatever reason. We came in. But when you when you get people going, it ain't been the same since Lovejoy left, and then going, what, where's what, why is the soccerette gone? Why is it going? Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, things things have changed, pal. Do you know what I mean? But you know, it's like yeah, I, yeah I've got friends. I've got friends from home that that um, were 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 soccerettes. Do you know what I mean? That were were on soccer AM as a soccerette, and it was a different time. It was an absolutely different time, and people, just people just weren't you know they were, were you know. But they just don't like change. They don't like change. They like things like it used to be, do you know what I mean, before the EU yeah. and uh, uh, stuff like that. So you just have to go, okay, mate, see you later on. And it was it was, it was, was mainly men. I think I got one uh, tweet from a woman that called me out, but the rest was men. But then on the, on the plus side, like on the other side, and this is the bit that you don't see, was the increase in viewership, do you know what I mean? Like the, like the fact that the, 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 the numbers are, it's gone up incrementally. I mean, when we came back on, I think it still has been, obviously, you know, pre-pandemic with, with the guys as, as a twosome. And the fact that I was getting, you know, you're getting people in the street going, mate, love you. I mean, no one ever called you out in real life. I mean, no one ever, yeah. you know, called you on the keyboard. But um, yeah, everyone was, everyone was really, really nice in person. And then my ticket sales went up and people, you know, still... You know, Soccer M today put me in an Instagram post about me doing some keepy offers, and you're still getting loads of little messages and say, oh, mate, miss you, pal, hope you're doing well, and all that lot. So, yeah, it's easy to forget that because you're getting someone saying that they'd rather you dead. Yeah, 
Yeah, of course. Do you think that because um because your job is quite unconventional um compared to nine to five, do you think that the the lines are blurred when it comes to separating your work life from your personal life? Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Like on stage I'm very um I'm very over the top, very kind of like, almost like I'm I'm a clown, do you know what I mean? I'm a, a quite camp, ridiculous clown. And then off stage, you know, like now, even in interviews like this, you know, I'm quite boring, do you know what I mean? Like I'm a bit like, no, hey, not at all. No, but it's like, I'm not like, ah, you know, like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, that would be know, exhausting. Yeah, it would be, you know, and I like, we played golf early on with Rob Beckett and his brother, and there's maybe two or three holes where we were showing off to each other, but the rest, it's like, we just, you know, just head down, just get on with it and stuff. So, um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a weird one as well. Like, I, th- I think it's, you know, I've spoken to a few football about this. Um, I'll always try to, if health and safety permit, after a show, say hello to all the, my, like, the, the I'll say, look, if you want a little meet and greet, if you want to say a little hello or just have a little photo after the show, that's fine. Like, we'll just give it five, just give me two or three minutes just to get us together. People that don't want to, you know, and then, you know, luckily there'll be a lot of people there, which is, if they want a photo, then that's great for them. And also for, for the ego, amazing as well, seeing that people still want to have a photo with you. But sometimes I'm quite awkward in those situations. I'm like, I'll be as confident as you like on stage. And then afterwards, I'll just be like, yeah. I'll like stumble all over words and not know what's going on. But that's just, that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, whereas before comedy, I think I was that arrogant um, knobhead off stage, well, not in everyday life, and I didn't have an outlet for it. Whereas that now is 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 my outlet, so that's the way I see it. Do you ever feel pressure to keep that up off stage? Because I feel yeah. like a lot of comedians are maybe expected yeah. to see the lighter side of situations. Yeah, yeah hugely. Like you know, like, most of the time, I'm you know it, it's fine. But sometimes you are like you know it sounds stupid, but you just expended a lot of energy on stage. You know, for for one and a half, two hours of you know, he's, I, did, I did a TV show the other day for the first time. Like TV shows have started to come back. It was a it was a game show. Um, you know, and whilst it's not uh, mining for six or seven hours, it takes a lot of mental energy in order to be kind of like switched on for the whole time and thinking what you have to say, making sure you're funny, making sure you sound straight, making sure that you you know you don't look like an idiot. And by the end of it, I was exhausted. I was like, Jesus, do you know what I mean? It's a lot of mental exhaustion more more than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does, it does, it sometimes can, you know, um, oh God, I mean, I've done, I've done, you know, my fair share of manual labor jobs and, but this is, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of energy that you burn up. It's a different type of tire. Um, but yeah, I do feel sometimes the pressure to be, you know, have to, having to be funny off stage. I think actually I am very funny. So I'll say that. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> you can get it out. Like I think I think that's not very funny. Um, I mean, I don't. Hopefully, I am. You know, otherwise, yeah. I, I think that's why I get certain jobs I get and stuff is because there is that natural side of it. I like comparing gigs and stuff. So, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, edit that. Man, but I can't print. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll consider it. Um, <laughs> comedy has led to uh, it's led to many opportunities for you, um, like touring with Jack White or being on Sucker EM. And there's an endless list. I mean, you've let you've met Lionel Bloody Messi. Yeah. Um, do you still get nervous though after after all these shows and all these appearances? 
Not really, no. Like, I, it sounds so ridiculous. Like, the only time I really get nervous uh, is singing, like singing at like Westminster Abbey or St George's Chapel Windsor Castle because there's no room for failure there. Whereas if you're on stage, if I have a bad gig, like I'm, I've, I've, I've been doing it enough now to know that I can... Not, if, if, I, if I do something stupid on stage, it's funny, do you know what I mean? If I fuck up a word... I can make light of it and just kind of like just crack on and stuff like that. In a TV show, there's an edit. Do you know what I mean? On Soccer M, there wasn't. But that was why Soccer M was so good is that if someone made a mistake, it's like, hooray! So that was what what made that show and has always made that show. Do you know what I mean? You're just waiting for someone to slip up on the link and it's just like, well, put your teeth in, do you know what I mean? No, I'm laughing now. It's like me and Fenners would read the link and then out of the breaks. And uh, if one of us would like mock up, it's like, it's the best feeling in the world. And again, that's what makes that show. If I'm singing at Westminster Abbey or uh, Windsor Castle, there's, there's none of that. That's when you have to be absolutely on the ball and absolutely like no room for any mistakes whatsoever. So that's when I'm kind of like most nervous. Me and footballers, I kind of... I am a football fan, but like I'm not an uber football fan. I love Grimsby Town. I love following them, and I've loved to, the, my love for them has grown, you know, since the age of like 16, 17. So like, what? I don't really think I've been starstruck with many footballers, and that's not being. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not disrespecting the footballers at all. I mean, they're still obviously amazing, but I think that helps. So when you're interviewing them, you're not like. Hi there. So, um, was uh, do you like uh, what? Corners. What was your exactly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, you're just, you're just you're just there shitting yourself. So, I think you know when I looked at Lionel Messi, it was a weird one. I knew it was going to happen. I was like, what's the worst that can happen here? Do you know what I mean? He can walk out and go, I'm not doing this. But I was like, all I have to do is have a little conversation with him for an hour, or like do some filming for like an hour, and that was it. And then the weirdest thing was. We were doing it, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's like a message." I mean, like either you know, we need to in and out as quick as possible, and don't try and engage a conversation, don't ask for a selfie, anything like that. And I was like, "I was like, look, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm we're filming with Lionel Messi, so I'm gonna get footage of me with him. It's not a problem." Mm-hmm. And um, he was really nice. He was really, really nice. Made him laugh quite a few times, which I was like, "That's a naturally funny person in me." You know I mean, <laughs> um. And so it was quite weird. He then, we were chatting. Uh, he, he can speak um, English. I can't speak Spanish. So we were speaking through his agent. And he said something to his agent. And like double L in Spanish is yeah. So it's like my name for that day was Yoid. So like, I never heard Yoid. I was like, oh, that's me. And he's like, yeah. And the agent goes, oh, apparently you and Lionel have a friend in common. I was like, oh, God, he thinks I'm Jack Black. It's, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't know it. Like, what is this? I was like, do we? He goes, I am. What is that? And he's like, oh, I'm uh, Wacky Mendela, Peeper. I was like, Peeper? Yeah. The, 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 the cat, the, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I basically, it was through Martin Gritton. It was through Martin Gritton. Wow. And this is, so basically, Martin Grimm is playing at Macclesfield. Uh, Man City just bought Pablo Zabaleta. And he said to Man City, can you sign my mate? He plays for Barcelona B team. 
Man City looked at his like showreel and like, no, 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 no offense, no. But if he wants to play in England, we can we can pay for him to play in Macclesfield. <laughs> so that's basically what happened. Like, um, I, I'm paraphrasing. I think like basically, um, uh, he, people came over to play for Macclesfield, couldn't drive, so Pablo Zabaleta used to drive and uh, pick him up, like, and drop him off at training every day. So everyone at Macclesfield would turn up in their, like, relatively, you know, BMW 1 Series or, or what have you, and then, like, people used to get dropped off in a Lamborghini every day. Anyway, he um, he knows, because they're all Argentinian, you know, so Zabaleta, Willy Cavalero, there was, like, a, quite a Manchester Argentinian scene, so whenever Lionel was over there, they used to hang out, and he knows him from, obviously, like, um, growing up in Barcelona and stuff like that so um, we went out for dinner me and Martin Martin was like oh mate you've got to go meet like we've got to meet people like, he's a great guy like he does like football stuff now like like it's like filming with this the sport on screen and, you know. so I met up with him lovely guy and then just didn't really put two and two together that he was mates with Messi and then Messi brought it up and then the whole crew were like so we've been, we've been filming this for six or seven weeks, and you failed to mention that you got a mutual friend with Lionel Messi. Atlanta, <laughs> I didn't know. He, he brought it up, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, fair, but I uh, text people, I was like, did you mention me to him? He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, mate, thank you. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, do you want anything signed in? And I was like, yes. So I had to run to the club shop. Like, like Usain Bolt, get a football top, get him to sign it for my cousin, um, whose birthday is today, actually. I think he's 16 or 17 today. And uh, but yeah, like five years ago on Christmas Day, I was like, "Do you want, do you want to open that? Do you want to open that present, mate? Do you want to open that present?" <laughs> open it. It's, oh, it's a Barcelona top. Thanks very much. Not just that, mate. Got the league on the side. Like, oh, cool. On the back. Why by Messi? Like, oh my god. I was like, yeah. That is the best present you're ever going to get. They're only ever going to go downhill from now on. Yeah, so, you um, set yourself up to fail there, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, like you said, you've met a lot of amazing players. So this is this is quite a big question, actually. If you were to set up a seven-a-side team with players yeah. that you have met, because obviously you've done taxi to training, so it has oh, to be yeah. players that you've met, a seven-a-side yeah. team, and you can put yourself in goal. Yeah, obviously, it's seven-a-side, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> uh, okay, so the seven-a-side team with people I have met, I'm going to um, write this down. Mm. I've got a bit of paper here. Okay, so it'll be me and goal. Mm-hmm. Um, up top would be Eric Cantona. Superb. Behind him would be Lionel Messi. Average. Then I'd basic one, two, three, four, five, six. Then, well, actually, do you know what? Let's figure out a formation later on. Ryan Giggs on the left. Gary Neville. Deli Alley, missing someone here, aren't I? One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm short of defenders here, aren't I? I mean, Neville might be I'd, able to, to hold the fort, but I'd put Martin Gritton in there as well. Yeah, putting big grits in. But he's a big lad, so to be fair, if I'm going, hello, mate, do you want to play centre-back? So, oh, mate, no, 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 well, no one else is playing centre-back. Out of Gary Neville, Deli Ali, Ryan Giggs, Lionel Messi and Eric Cantona, so I think you're going to play at centre-back, mate. But yeah, not a problem, that's not a problem. Yeah, that's us in there, I think. Who else could I... Uh, I mean, on the bench, Jimmy Bullard would have to be the first person on the bench. Mm. 
But I just don't think Bullard is better than Neville, Ali, Giggs, Messi or Cantona. But I think he's going he's gonna to come on. He's going to get himself about. He's going to you know keep the play ticking over. I think he'll be a great impact sub. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that too. That's not yeah. bad, is it? That's a that's a world like, beater. That I've met some quite good footballers and <laughs> <laughs> Um Okay, so like you said, you still do your singing appearances um, fairly often, and I'm a massive Blossoms fan. Uh, so I saw recently you were you came out you supported them didn't you did a, a warm up yeah, yeah. set and then you did a, a falling for someone I think it was came on stage and some of them yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're a fully fledged rock star you're doing a lot of TV a lot of YouTube online shows podcasts um, yeah. but is there one area specifically that you think that you would like to move towards in the future or are you happy with all of your strings to your bow I, I like. That's the thing. It's like jack of all trades. You know, we're talking about like when I, when I was younger, going, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on TV. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I'm just gonna be on TV. And like, I've been lucky in that my IMDb. This is a horrible phrase. My IMDb <laughs> is quite. Like, my IMDb is quite like you know. So there's presenting. There's me making appearances as myself on on panel shows or like talking heads. Then there's me acting and stuff. So it's like. I'm happy to just do as many things as possible. You know, if you throw enough shit, some of it will stick. And that is the advantage of being morbidly obese is that there is a lot of shit. Um, for me, though, it's like, it's the the, the, the acting and the, the stand-up and the acting are the two things that I'm kind of like want to, want to concentrate on. That was the reason why I left Soccer AM is because I got an acting job um, that was too huge to turn down. Um, can't talk about it still. But um, yeah, so that's kind of that for me. And, you know, I've been quite lucky in, in, in the last year. I've had like, small parts in quite big things that are, you know, going to come out this year, end of uh, end of this year, beginning of next year. Some interesting stuff, you know, a few things that you'll, you know, you'll definitely watch and stuff. And you know, even now looking to film some stuff in the next few months and, and what have you. So yeah, I'd kind of, I know James Corden splits opinion, but I mean, Jesus Christ, like that bloke has everything and i think he's brilliant at what he does you know like um i went and saw one man two governors at the national theater and not that many people you know in the grand scheme of things know that he would have done that only really if you know your theater where you're out so you know that he'd he, he done that it was one of the best things i've ever seen he was absolutely incredible as francis um uh francis henshaw in that it, i always i just i you know and to see someone that you knew as smithy you know someone that has written and starred in one of the best sitcoms of the last 20 30 years to then go to the National Theatre and do that, and then to have his own late-night TV show in America, to have one of the largest shows, Carpool Karaoke, to then be in Cats, and then, you know, and also, you know, play Paul Potts in a movie of Paul Potts. It's like, there's not much he hasn't done, do you know what I mean? Like, League of Their Own was one of the fucking biggest, you know, still is one of the biggest TV shows in the UK. So, you know, love him or, or loathe him, you know, I think that he's, you know, it's great that he's, he's done that. And he's an, obviously an ambitious person and kind of, you know, I wouldn't mind being a poor man's James Corden. If there's anything he doesn't want to do, I'm absolutely happy to sweep it up <laughs> and do it. But yeah, so like for, for me, it's kind of like concentrating on the next next tour. But also, is, um, acting is one thing that I do want to do. And, it, you know, that's just, I still love all the other stuff like the presenting and the, you know, and the, and the podcast stuff. And I still do my YouTube channel, even though it makes me absolutely no money whatsoever. And it's a ball like, um, mm. uh, like cutting the kits around the country when you're on tour. But, you know, I still enjoy, I still enjoy, I still enjoy doing it and stuff. So, um, yeah. Amazing. 
Um, the the last part of this podcast, I'd like to do a, a qu- sort of quick fire, quick fire-ish, sort of like average speed limit round yeah. um, with sort of loosely mental health related questions. Okay. Um, what makes you happy? Um, what makes me happy is no knowledge in my life um, and doing doing stuff that makes me happy. So like doing the job that I do, making me happy, mm-hmm. hanging around with the people that, that make me happy. And what makes well, you sad? Wasn't quick fire, that was it. Uh, novice. Right. Okay, novice, fine. Um, and in the last few years, what uh, what have you learned about yourself? Um, what have I learned about myself in the last few years? Um, just to, like, again, just believe in yourself. Like, just really believe in yourself. You know, I get asked quite a few times on various social media platforms that, you know, people can say, no, I'm looking to start a podcast or I'm looking to get into comedy. Um, what what should I do? And it's like just first and foremost, just believe in what 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 you do. Do you know what I mean? And then just go for it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone fails in their life, and everyone fails in their life so many times. So don't be afraid of those failures. Just pick yourself up. But the, whilst you pick yourself up, just believe in yourself that you can do it. Inspirational. And the last question uh, that I, I use in every episode, a bit of positive reflection. What about yourself? Are you most proud of? I think um, making my mum proud. Um, you know, she brought me and my sister up on her own um, and it wasn't easy, um, you know. And, and and so my sister's got a really good job in, in she's really bright, you know what I mean? And she's kind of worked her tits off as well to get where she is. But I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of making my mum proud, you know what I mean? So when I'm doing stuff, um you know, we were able to go, you know, supported Jack Whitehall at the O2 for three nights and we were able to, like, have a nice little box for her at the O2 and, you know, see a little son make a buffoon of himself, you know, uh, come on and play a little role at the end of Jack's show as well. So, you know, j- just small things like that. I mean, whenever I make the, the, the telegraph, the Grimsby even telegraph, I mean, she she loves all that. So, yeah, I guess just making, making me on proud, really. Amazing. Lloyd, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Um, uh, the floor's yours. What, uh, what do you want to tell people about? Uh, nothing really. I just, um, if, you've, if you've enjoyed this, give me a little follow on um, on Instagram's the nicest platform, really. Twitter's just full of horrible people, isn't it, really? Um, so, yeah, just give us a follow. Well, I don't anything, really. At Griffith. I do these weekly football videos. It's impressions. They're so dubious. Called uh, Premier League Fan Reactions. I do a podcast with Robbie Knox called uh, Cooped Up with Lord Griffith and Robbie Knox, where we just chat rubbish for uh, 20 minutes a day. In fact, we're on it in 11 minutes. Um, but yeah, just be nice to each other. I know it sounds so wanky, it's so pretentious. If you're a football fan and you, you know, you have known that you've been uh, aggy in the past, calm down. There's things bigger than football. Do you know what I mean? Kiss your family. Have a nice time. Get a lovely, uh, get a lovely tug duvet. Do you know what I mean? That'll make you happy. <laughs> Lloyd, thank you again, and to the listener, thank you for listening to the Football and Feelings <laughs> podcast. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.